Welcome to the Keep Cool Show, the podcast in which we cover how cutting-edge climate technologies connect to the world in which we live. I'm your host, Nick Van Osdal. What I think, so I'll take a step back, right? I think one of the things that struck me when I started in the climate space at large, right, is it seems, but really feels, right, that people are extremely selfless, right? Like everyone is here for the mission that's much bigger than, you know, any one of us, right? So I think the the overall mindset is extremely positive and collaborative. And and the same applies to DAC, you know, overall, right? Of course, you know, it's different companies, it's more or less different technologies, different stages of companies, but I would say everyone is in for the same, right? And there's space for everyone. I mean, the challenge is so big, right? That I think the atmosphere is more like, hey, we need to get people to understand at industry level, right? At, at category level, that we need to remove carbon from the atmosphere. You know, not only even with DAC only or with solid solvent DAC only, right? But we need to reduce and we need to remove. This is where we are today, right? As humanity, both are needed. And in order to remove, high quality solutions are needed. And then, you know, then you enter into what type of technologies, what type of solutions, you know, one respective to the other. But I think this bigger message of, you know, sense of urgency, need for action, removal is really what, what sticks out today. And, and then also makes it very, you know, kind of a big picture story. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, there's no shortage of carbon in the atmosphere for folks to remove. So there's no, uh, no. market share competition on that front yet. <laughs> All right, Julie, welcome to the Keep Cool Show. It's great to have you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, calling in from Paris. I feel like I'm slowly building a kind of a repository of podcasts featuring guests from across the whole world. So glad to add another country to the list today. (laughs) Excellent. And I'm excited to talk about all things direct air capture with you today. But why don't we get listeners up to speed a little bit first on kind of your career journey and how you got to the point where you are today working at Climeworks? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I don't have a typical path, right? I'm not an engineer. I come from FMCG and luxury space. But I think there are a couple of paths that got me to where I am today. And I think personally, right, obviously, that's kind of the realization of the impact Mm. we have, the lifestyle we have and the impact it has on our planet and the acceleration of this impact and the consequences of this. Mm -hmm. And on the other side, in a way, professionally, it's at some point I came to realize that my experience, my skills, could actually be put at the service of that cause, right? And it was not life and work, but really <laughs> one topic. And I, I really started connecting the dots and then it became an evidence like, hey, like one side of what I do can really contribute to what I really care about, right? So I think that's really something that, you know, was a bit of a journey, right? But now it's very obvious. And when I talk to people also wanting to make the transition, that's always what I encourage them to do, right? connect the dots, like what's interesting in your profile that can serve any type of, you know, climate related or positive impact related jobs, right? Because it's Mm -hmm. so wide now. And when it comes to the carbon removal space in particular, that was more serendipity, right? It was more about (laughs) the people you meet and the path of life, but very excited that I got there. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit more about that connecting of dots. So you worked in beauty and luxury. Yeah. And now you're working in carbon removal. Those two things to a lot of people probably sound extremely different, but maybe there's a decent amount of overlap in terms of kind of the skill set that you have and and how you're applying it to those two different spaces. Maybe give us a paint us a little bit of a picture of where you do see some of that dot connection and overlap between those two spaces. Yeah, I think that definitely are, right? I mean, I think what when you talk about beauty and luxury, it's really about 
the emotions, right? The underlying emotion and the positive emotion that you you tell through stories, right? And mm-hmm. I think, you know, my personal belief, but also what TimeWork stands for, right, is really about displaying solutions, showing hope, showing the bright side of what can be done. Mm. Uh, but at the same time, it's very intangible, right? CO2 in the air is very intangible. <laughs> Capturing CO2 and storing it deep underground is also very intangible, right? There's no real physical product that you get. Right. So at the end of the day, you rely on the emotions and the story that you can tell to people. How do you engage them? How do you make them relate to that? And I think that's where there are a lot of synergies. At the end of the day, you know, I meet people that are very, at first at least, right, very surprised to have B2C background for that. Mm-hmm. But when you think about it, as we disrupt, you know, with different new solutions and you need to get people to understand what we do, you first talk to the human, right? Mm-hmm to the consumer. And I think that relationship is really something that, that's really strong and really helpful when it comes to that. Of course, I had to complement this with the appetite for the scientific, right, <laughs> and technical background, which I had, right. and I'm still building every day in this space that's, that moves so fast. But I think it's a good mix and it's, uh, it works. Nice. And how long have you been working at, at Climeworks? Because I know that they've been around for almost a decade or longer at this point, but... Yeah, so the company was founded in 2009, and I joined when the, I would say, self-standing department of, of marketing and communication was created, which is uh, a bit over two years ago. Nice. Excellent. And for folks listening in who, you know, we've already started talking about Climeworks, but some <laughs> people might not have any idea what the company does or, or what it's like. So why don't we get them up to speed with just your quick 60, 90 seconds on the firm? Perfect. So the company was founded in 2009, and the first step was really to get and develop a technology, right? Mm-hmm. And what for? To actually capture CO2 from the air. So very early on, founders realized, right, that there is a need to treat this excess CO2 from the air and with an engineering background, say, okay, what can we do about this? Mm-hmm. Developing what we call a direct air capture solution, right? So that's a technology. How does technology work? Very simply, you know, in a way, you move air through fans, you get the air in contact with a filter material. In that case, it's a solid filter material. And the CO2 is adsorbs, right? Sticks to the surface of this material. When the material is filled full, it's heated and then releases the CO2 that we can then capture, mm-hmm. right? And then with this air capture CO2, you can actually do different things, right? Either utilize it in different application of products or you can store it, which is what we focus on now. So that that's for the tech right? And how does it look like? It's (laughs) machines, right, that you build. So think about collector containers, like shipping containers, right, with fans that you can stack up into the other and then combine them into collecting this CO2. Right. Uh, But then what do we do with it, right? Once you have (laughs) captured this, that's all the question I, I try to decompose to the maximum, right, for our listeners is then the actual product is a carbon removal credit, Mm -hmm. right? So selling to companies who want to help the industry scale up, the industry is still very nascent, but also address the unavoidable or historical emissions, right? right? Emissions that are already in the atmosphere or we already know will be in the atmosphere because there are no technologies, no alternative solution to make them low carbon or neutral. So in a nutshell, that's that's what we do. Yeah. And I think it's a really interesting point that you, I think, hit on at the end and also raised at the beginning that even if somehow miraculously we cut all global emissions going forward tomorrow, there's still so much CO2 already in the atmosphere that it behooves us to try and accelerate the carbon cycle and actually remove additional carbon out of the atmosphere. So yeah. that's a point that I think folks don't necessarily always get introduced to 
when they're thinking about climate change. There's a lot of focus, rightly so, on reducing emissions going forward, but we've already kind of passed a threshold where it's important to to clean up the mess that we've made, so to speak. Yeah. And I understand to some extent, right? Because we wish it would be enough to only reduce emission, right? So being optimistic and hopeful people by nature, you know, we think, hey, let's focus on reducing, which is absolutely, absolutely the right focus, right? But Mm -hmm. we need to reduce at least 90%. But given we haven't been fast enough at doing that, right? Then there's still a whole lot of CO2 that's already in the air and some more that's going to be keeping coming, mm-hmm. right? And we need to address those. And that's something that was recognized as early as the, you know, 2018 by the IPCC and then including different type of technologies, including DAC in 2022, mm-hmm. right? So we know that's a must. But it, it's a bit like a relay race, right? We first need to do a great job in the first segment of that relay race, which is the emission, talking 90%, right? Nine zero. <laughs> and then the rest uh, needs to come with removal with a wide array of different solutions from natural-based solutions, obviously, to hybrid and then to tech solutions. So we reach a point where we need removal. Nature cannot do it alone because the magnitude is so big. Mm-hmm. And then we need all actors coming together. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And... You know, Climeworks is very much a leader in scaling up direct air capture. And I think, you know, Climeworks' operational plants in Europe are certainly some with the most, probably the most capacity to actually remove carbon from the atmosphere today. And at the same time, it's still a very nascent and small, I shouldn't say small, but very young nascent industry. And it's got a long way to go if it wants to hit some of the targets that kind of, as you mentioned, the IPCC says by 2050, it'd be great to have billions of tons of carbon removal capacity. Today, we're probably talking about tens of thousands, maybe 50,000, you can tell me. But, you know, when you first joined the firm, kind of how did you start to wrap your head around that challenge of we need to scale this significantly? And we're also dealing with, as you said, a product that isn't necessarily visible. It's almost intentionally like invisible. We take it out of the atmosphere and put it away underground. But I think that's part of the excitement, right? Like I'm driven by this positive aspect of showing solution, but at the same time, combined with the incredible challenge that, mm. you know, that's still a lot to be done, right? And when you talk about the orders of magnitude of, you know, megaton, gigatons, I mean, they're words, but <laughs> they're very, very abstract, right? right? And even you talk like scaling up over decades, mm-hmm. right? So the sense of urgency for me comes from there and the magnitude of the challenge come from there. And I think that's where it becomes very interesting to say, hey, we need to act now and we need our impact today will be demultiplied by the journey we're taking mm. to tomorrow. Yeah. I think that's that's really important. Yeah. Humans like a really grand challenge sometimes, something that seems a little bit impossible to to get excited I and guess. galvanized about. <laughs> yeah. I'm ho- happy it's uh, a lot of us <laughs> because we need that. Yeah. I mean, hopefully it, it works out that way. And it's interesting to contrast with, you know, maybe other things related to climate change in the past just haven't been tangible enough or haven't been presented in like this discrete of a way where it kind of has always seemed like this huge overarching challenge that has like so many different layers to it that it's hard to grapple (laughs) with. But I think taking something very specific like direct air capture and saying like, this is what we need to do with respect to this specific technology makes it a little bit more tangible for people, perhaps. Yeah, we hope we need to, right? (laughs) We need people to relate to that. So I think there are a couple of ways to do that. And we try to be as illustrated as possible, right? Showing our plans, showing the progress we're making on the plans, mm-hmm. but at the same time as authentic as possible, right? right? In that sense. And I believe that's how people can relate and get, get engaged on that journey. 
So I've been asking a lot of questions so far, but I'm curious in your day to day when you're working either with, you know, potential buyers of carbon credits or other people who are just more generally interested in the work that Clim Climeworks is doing. What are some of the main questions that you have to answer for to start with kind of like the buyer persona of people that would interact with Climeworks and buy the carbon credits? What are some of the main questions that they ask you and that you're frequently kind of distilling for them? Well, I think, I mean, at the end of the day, it comes down to two challenges, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we we're lucky to work already with some pioneers uh, who have very early on understood the, the need to scale, the need to have quality solution around negative technology, right? Mm -hmm. that, that include that. And for them, it's obvious that they need to be involved in this industry, that they want to help it scale. Um, so it makes sense, right, for them. But on the other hand, for people who are getting started, and of course, we very much welcome them, I think that two challenges. The first one is, the understanding of the details, right, of how the technology works, you know, what are the underlying parameters that are driving the quality, because this is very new, right, and yeah. can get a bit complex when you have to talk about the permanence of the product, the mm -hmm. additionality of the product, yeah. the timelines that we're talking about. So I think it's there's no, you know, reading grid, right, of, of what <laughs> a good carbon removal credit is and what it's not, right? Right. Um, today, for every day's life product that, that people deal with, they have consciously or unconsciously some criteria of choice already. That's part of their habit, they're part of their standard, they're part of their life. But for that, not only is it intangible, but there's no grit, right? Mm -hmm. And I think... Um, there's no Yelp reviews. No, no, no <laughs> reviews. So we were trying to get that done, right? Like mm -hmm. understanding what's the net carbon removed actually once we have removed the you know the gray emission associated to the energy sourcing mm. the gray emission associated to building the plant what are the different levels of permanence you know that it requires some level of investment and sophistication right mm -hmm. which we're very happy to get you know and, and guide people on but that's the involvement that, that we're trying to do and to that matter we've also been working really hard on driving some standards right mm -hmm. we really want to we want to be striving for the highest standards possible, mm -hmm. holding ourselves accountable to those standards. End of last year, we released our full chain certification methodology that has been validated by DNV, a third party, and our first carbon removal credit deliveries were consequently certified, right? And that was the first in the CDR space. So I think we're really trying to break down the different parameters and making sure that People understand, right, what's really at stake. So I think that that's the first one. Right. And the second one is a sense of urgency, right? We discussed that a bit earlier. The timelines that we're talking about, it's decades, right? It's yeah. Sometimes it's way beyond our own lifespan. Yeah. It's gigatons, megatons, right? It's really hard. Like people can wait six months for a Tesla, but <laughs> you know, they don't really understand that the whole supply chain has been built for, you know, sometimes even more than a decade. Right? right. And we're talking something that's not even, you know, as mature as a car manufacturing industry. So they don't see that. Right. So once you get them to understand, OK, I understand why, then you still need to talk to them. like, why now? Right. Right. <laughs> and I think that's the sense of urgency, because you see here and there, right, like short term concerns when it's not the war in Ukraine, it's the inflation. When it's not inflation, it's pandemic. Right, it's supply chain issues. There are always something more kind of more urgent or more short term, let's say, right, right. than that. So I think that's really, I would say, the two, a bit the two dimensions, right, that that we are really concentrating the discussions around. To your question, 
That makes a lot of sense. I can, I mean, both sound challenging, the, the, well, the latter, especially when you're working with companies that have a lot of things to focus on in any given quarter or any given year, you know, they could be really excited about what you're doing, but still say, and, you know, we can't think about this until Q1 2024. And it's like, all right, well, that's going to set us back potentially if we can't really start developing the entire supply chain for this industry today. Yeah, yeah no, that's a challenge. But, you know, I think we, we're very lucky we're getting more and more people understanding that. And when you talked earlier about the different stakeholders, definitely, right, when you look at the Inflation Reduction Act in the U.S. set up by the government and the Department of Energy, that's typically a very strong signal, mm -hmm. right, that that also different stakeholders that we need, mm -hmm. right, from a policy standpoint are, are getting involved and getting very serious about that. So we are, of course, welcoming that very much. Yeah. And speaking of that, I was going to ask next. So we talked kind of about some of the questions or where you try to concentrate the discussion with kind of corporations and buyers. I'm curious, you know, when you engage with policymakers and folks in the public sector, what are some of the, is it a lot of the similar types of discussions or are there different things that they're curious and concerned about that you frame the conversation for them for? Well, I think yes and no in a way, <laughs> right? I mean, the legitimate questions around how the technology work, you know, how the scaling up looks like, mm. you know, what are the requirements? So I think this everyone wants to understand that. But the government and the institution have an extra role to play in that sense, right? That they can provide, you know, funding. Uh, we just so they can provide pressure <laughs> by by tax mechanism or other type of incentive as well. But they also have a very strong role to play into the deployment of renewable energy, you know, mm -hmm. upstream for us or the permitting, for instance, downstream, for sure. right? Like if we want to, we want to build a hub. This is all like mini ecosystem, right? And, right. and the program is called DAC Hubs. Mm -hmm. There's a reason for that, right? It's really the um, different actors coming together to create this full value chain. Right. But you can't inject in the ground unless you get you know, a local and probably federal authorization as right. well, right? So that's, they have different, really very multifaceted role and levers that they can play on. And that's, you know, we have to address all of those and be on this journey together throughout. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. As you said, everything from kind of the upstream of like, is there clean energy available to the furthest downstream of like, do I have a class six well that I can then go and inject yeah. my carbon underground into? So yeah, exactly. for better or for worse, the government holds a lot of the Holds a lot of the keys to that stuff. But I mean, at least in the US and I think increasingly in Europe, for sure, too, it seems like they they understand that and want to create the right framework for firms like yours to operate. Yeah, I mean, I think the government, right, has enough distance to also have looked at the, you know, the actual timeline of technology deployment and, and scaling up, right? Mm -hmm. And there's enough history in the political space. So they actually know that, you know, what a decades means, what can be achieved and how early you have to start. Right. I think that's, that's something that they have experience on. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Even if it's something that's less kind of in the physical world, like open internet stuff was early 2000s and it took, you know, 20 years for us to get to the point where we are today with internet infrastructure. So they can definitely, they appreciate longer time horizons than the private sector, perhaps. That's why we have to start now for exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. We're in the, like the, we're in the very early, like, earliest possible stages of the internet a metaphor for well i shouldn't say earliest possible people of our like people like climbworks have been working on this for 10 years but it's still pretty early yeah but sometimes you know it's like the first iphone was early 2000 right, right? and everyone was very happy to get it but now you know we've come a long way with everything <laughs> we can do with a single phone so i think it's yeah. really also about getting the right expectation at the right stage of the technology mm -hmm. and everyone wants to be you know as fast as possible to the iphone 14 <laughs> but there's still a lot of iteration that we have to take and to have the right, the right scale. 
Right. So the first Climeworks plant's already out in the world. That's kind of like iPhone 1, and hopefully someday it'll be like <laughs> iPhone 14, version 14 of the Climeworks plants. Let's talk a little bit about what the next couple of years look like. So there's already operational facility in Zurich, I think, and in Iceland, there's a bigger one. Where are kind of the next expansion plans? And, you know, how are you kind of telling the story around what that expansion looks like? Well, I think so. Zurich was generation one that mm. we have operated. In Iceland, it's generation two. So Orca, we open in September 2021. Mm-hmm. And we're building the big sister next door, <laughs> nine times bigger, right? So a significant step in scale up. Mm. And that's probably going to be you know, operational 2024, early 2024. The construction is, is happening at the moment, right? So we already have that on track. Mm. Then what comes next, you know, keeping working on the technology and deploying that to the right scales. So obviously, U.S. is in focus, especially the with the current environment. Right. Given what we talked about. Yeah. We have some pilots in Norway, in Oman, right? Mm. Really um, progressing. And, and our sourcing team, right, for sites is working very actively. What we basically need, you know, are three things. The first one is the raw material we use is the atmosphere, right? So mm-hmm. we can be based anywhere. <laughs> Provided upstream, we do have renewable energy, right? Right. It's the our technology is requires low grade heat. Um, heating of the filters about eighty to hundred Celsius degree, right? Mm-hmm. So we can do that with renewable energy, and then downstream with high quality storage, permanent right. storage, right? So we would be getting you know, able to be on any side that combine these two things, and that's what we're looking at across continents. Got it. Yeah, I've always kind of imagined that Iceland makes a lot of sense given the abundant geothermal energy that they have there. And for storage, is are most of the plants that are currently in development or that you're looking at now, do they use a similar or kind of the same storage technique or is there some variability in the actual kind of way that CO2 gets stored underground across these different sites? So the one that's locked in the plan is really, you know, next door. So it uses the same mineralization technique with our partner CarbFix. And then mm-hmm. we do have some pilots with other type of mineralization as well or other type of high quality storage. Mm. Uh, but it's mostly for now the plan that are locked, you know, and in construction is Iceland. So that's something out of it. And I'm curious as we talk about kind of growth and scale up too, is there a lot of collaboration between back firms? What does the environment kind of feel like? A very collaborative, some com- competition, friendly competition, fierce competition kind of curious to hear your perspective on that. Well, I think, so I'll take a step back, right? I think one of the things that struck me when I started in the climate space at large, right, is it seems, but really feels, right, that people are extremely selfless, right? Like everyone is here for the mission that's much bigger than, you know, any one of us, right? So I think that the overall mindset is extremely positive and collaborative. And and mm-hmm. the same applies to DAC, in, you know, overall, right? Of course, you know, it's different companies, it's more or less different technologies, Mm -hmm. different stages of companies. But I would say everyone is in for the same, right? And Mm. there's space for everyone. I mean, the Mm -hmm. challenge is so big, right? Right. That I think the atmosphere (laughs) is more like, hey, we need to get people to understand at industry level, right? At at category level, that we need to remove carbon from the atmosphere. You know, not only even with DAC only or with solid solvent DAC only, right? But we need to reduce and we need to remove. Mm-hmm. This is where we are today, right? As humanity, both are needed. And in order to remove, high quality solutions are needed. And then, you know, then you enter into what type of technologies, what type of solutions, you know, one perspective to the other. But I think this bigger message of, you know, sense of urgency, need for action, 
removal is really what what sticks out today and and then also makes it very you know kind of a big picture story yeah that makes a lot of sense uh there's no shortage of carbon in the atmosphere for folks to remove so there's no uh market no. share competition on that front yet <laughs> and i'm curious you know this is just kind of off the beaten path a little bit when you look at other carbon removal technologies which ones you know beyond direct air capture which ones do you find most interesting or exciting or compelling well so first i'm very enthusiastic by nature right mm. and i'm also very enthusiastic by any type of solutions right that we're trying to explore so I think we know nature cannot do it alone, unfortunately, mm-hmm. right? So I'm getting excited by also solutions that enhance the power of nature, yeah. for instance, right? Um, and second that, that will be complementing to what we do. I think in general, across, beyond the type of solutions, right, that excite me, I think what I really, what I'm very most sensitive about is, one, is the quality, right, of the solution, right? Because at the end of the day, getting carbon out of the atmosphere is hard, right? Like, yeah. There's too much, but it's very diluted, right? So it's really hard. 0.04%, something like that. Yeah, <laughs> too little. Yes. But, uh, you know, but in the end, it's really, so the quality of what you do with that afterwards really matter, right? The net impact on, on how you apply your technology to the, well, your solution to the problem and making sure you have really a net impact that's significant. I think for me, that's the number one criteria. And the second one is, the scalability mm-hmm. because because of the sense of urgency, right? And the time it takes to scale up solution, we really need to focus our efforts on what's the most scalable option because we have no time, right? Like we have to make our efforts the most efficient possible and mm-hmm. that everyone who works, you know, on those solutions or spend dollars against those mm-hmm. solutions really does it with a demultiplied effect afterwards. And mm-hmm. I think that these are the two criteria, right? That are most sensitive about when I look at solutions. And thinking about that second criteria of how scalable is it and, you know, how much ROI do you get on deploying capital to it? This is always a tough question, but I'm interested to ask you, you know, if you and I chatted again in 10 or 20 years and the industry, direct air capture specifically, hasn't scaled as much as we would have liked it to, what would you predict are kind of the main things that could derail progress? Like what are some of the biggest risks that concern you or that people at Climeworks think about? Well, I think that, I mean, the biggest risk or the biggest need in a way, right, which is the other way to look at it is kind of scaling. Right. Repetition and, you know, building bigger plants and building mm-hmm. building more plants is really what's going to, you know, give the technology, the robustness and the, you know, the final maturity to be reaching the levels we need, the cost decrease that we need, the efficiency level that we need, right? So I think that's today really what we are very careful about, right? We're very lucky a bit less than a year ago, right, to be raising a lot of money, over $600 mm-hmm. million, dollars, right, to build this infrastructure, <laughs> right? But th- that yeah. sounds a lot of money, but there's still a lot more that, you know, that needs to be done further down the line to really build those plans and integrate the technology. Right. So we really need this, all these actors that we, we talked about before to be coming together. And I think that's what can derail us, right, if we're a bit sloppy in some of the areas. Yeah, it's about execution, because it's all about execution now. When people start giving you a lot of money, then they want to see, as we've talked about, they want to see some results and some improvements and some efficiency gains and all that different type of stuff. So, yeah, it's kind of rubber meets the road time for the industry. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think that's the, uh, you know, but also if we want to get where we need to be by the time we need to be, you know, which mm-hmm. for us is a gigaton by 2050, it's really the name of the game at the moment. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. 
And one set of stakeholders that we talked about at the beginning of our conversation a little bit, but haven't talked about as much since are even, you know, not corporations or policymakers of the public sector, but also just individuals who are out in society. They care about climate to an extent, but they're probably not super familiar with direct air capture or the specifics of how the technology works. What role do you see in kind of bringing individual people and consumers along for the journey too? Because they're not necessarily the biggest buyers of carbon credits, but they certainly could be contributors someday. Well, I think what one of the things that makes Limox special, right, is very early on, we've been offering this service to individuals, mm. right? So anyone, and I invite anyone who listens <laughs> to us to go on the website, right, and look at subscriptions, or we also have one-time gifts, for instance, right, and buy carbon removal, right? right. So in that way, removing CO2 from your footprint, but more importantly, I would say really participating to the effort of uh, scale-up for the industry. <laughs> and we do have now over 18,000 people who have used wow. our service. That's since great. A bit more than three years, three years and a half. Wow, ago, yeah. Right? So very early on, the vision was to, you know, basically talk to people mm. as in individuals, right? Back then, carbon removal was hardly a world, direct capture sounded like science fiction, <laughs> really engaging people as humans, right? I yeah. think it's really, really important because before they are, you know, sustainability officers, purchasing manager, you know, in companies, which is the audience we talk to today, they're first and foremost individuals. Yeah. I think that's really, really important to get people to understand everyone has a role to play and everyone can today participate into the scale-up of that industry. Right. Typically, we also, you know, sometimes talk to people who say, hey, if I would have known about solar industry 20 years ago, sure. right, I would have loved to be able to contribute because now we're in the accelerated exponential deployment phase for solar, but it's still, there's still a long way to go for sure. on, on how much we can deploy this technology. And that's something I hear very often, that people would have wanted to get involved. And now when they see something that, requires support for scale-up, right? And they feel, okay, I can do something, then I'm happy to participate, right? And I think this engagement and community is really important. That's a really interesting point because it is so much more exponential to contribute. Not that people shouldn't, you know, support the scale-up of solar today, but as you said, if you, you have an opportunity to do something very exponential if you kind of help catalyze a new industry like direct air capture early, like if you put a dollar into it today, that could go a long way in 10 or 20 years. Uh, whereas if you put a dollar into solar that 20 years ago, that would have been great. But today it's not necessarily going to have that exponential impact. So yeah, that's a compelling value proposition. And I also like what you like the way that I think it's just important to bring individual people along for the journey because we want to build industries that are a bit flatter and more democratized from the outset. You know, whether or not people contribute money, the way that they vote over the next 10 or 20 years is going to be important too. And the way that, you know, even if it comes down to something like permitting, like if you live somewhere where someone might build a plant someday, like to support that as opposed to opposing it, or at least to be open-minded about it, all that stuff's very important. Definitely. All right. So we touched on this point earlier, and we've talked a little bit about some of the legislation in the U.S. and the way that the U.S. wants to start creating kind of new hubs for direct air capture, DAC hubs. If you're able to share, I'd love to hear kind of some of Climeworks' more specific plans around how you're positioning yourself to, to take advantage and be a part of those DAC hubs. Yeah, I mean, for sure, you know, the U.S. is a very important market, right? Mm. I mean, globally, and also with all this impetus, right, that has been demonstrated, there is an immense opportunity for the industry to grow there and also for the U.S. to be, you know, really a place that enable that growth globally, right? Mm. And the programs like the Department of Energy, regional tech hubs, mm -hmm. right, 
really underscore that. And there is an appetite for scaling this industry, which of course resonates very much with us, mm. right? Ultimately, the impact will be throughout the chain, right? Access to renewable energy, but also the permitting. Uh, what does that tell us, right, as Climeworks is, I mean, we've applied to participate in different hubs, right, as part of this program with different location in Louisiana, in California, in Northern Great Plains as well, each with a pathway towards the megaton capacity, so 1 million tons capacity by 2030. And that has a lot of repercussion, right, for the scale up of the of Climeworks and of the industry in general, but mm-hmm. also for the impact it has locally for the US, right? So it means that to prepare for that, it's about hiring over 100 US employees in the near term, right? In anticipation (laughs) of that. But then also once you think about the different hubs, right? It could be an impact of a thousand direct jobs, right? Mm. That could emerge by at the end of the decade from from projects that we hope to be involved with uh, in the US, right? So it's really about the jobs, the upskilling, right? Towards greener job in a way, but clearly the job creation is really an important piece, right? That will be positive side effect from those was program in terms of innovative technology and construction and mm-hmm. operating the plants. Yeah, that's a good note for. And I think that the, you know, I think this has been well understood as well, right? It's it's kind of a win 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 um, situation for that. Right, definitely a big op- economic opportunity, and for folks listening in, hopefully, you know, if you're interested in working in director capture in the near future, there's jobs coming your way. Keep an eye out. <laughs> Connect the dots and join us. Yeah, there you go. And help scale a vitally important industry. Yeah, definitely. And it is cool that it's happening across, you know, different hubs across the U.S. Because, yeah, I mean, even just some of the different ones that you mentioned, whether it's in Louisiana, like these are some of these are areas where a lot of the jobs in the past have been pretty focused on oil and gas. And so creating alternative opportunities that tie into kind of the economy of the future, the clean energy economy or carbon removal economy or all these different things, like offering opportunities in that vein. I think when you you look at it, right, we talk a lot about the climate impact, which, you know, obviously is top of mind. But when you distilled it down to also economical Mm -hmm. impact, right, that's really also important to look at that, you know, this will be a trillion dollar Mm -hmm. industry, right? Definitely. If you think about the, you know, the tech revolution, right, in the years 2000, right? Now the cloud computing industry is $550 billion, right? Software is $800 billion. Mm-hmm. Ecom is $6 trillion. The years 2020 are going to be the years of the net zero revolution, right? Electric vehicles, you know, are, plan- are projected to be over $800 billion in 2027. Renewable energy, you know, same for the year 2021 or 2 trillion industry when you look at 2030, right? And that's when you project the carbon removal industry, that's really going to be above a trillion dollar mm-hmm. industry, right? So we're really talking about those magnitudes. And sometimes I feel, again, you know, we're talking very abstract, huge numbers, right? That's not always easy to comprehend. But when you when we look at history, right, and what has been done and, and some key industries that have revolutionized the way we we live, the way we, you know, the way we move, the way we we're interdependent to each other, they're getting really, really big from an economical scale standpoint. And the same will happen with carbon removal. That's for sure. Very simply, right, looking at the emission, the size of the emission that cannot be abated and yeah. the historical emissions and even a I would say a rather low valuation of hundred dollar a ton for carbon, right? Which is probably on the low side already, yeah. you get into, you know, you break the trillion dollar uh, market size. And I think that's that's also another aspect, right, of what make the challenge so 
appetizing, right? Because it's really big. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter the dimension or the lens you're coming from. It, it is really, really big and exciting. Yeah, the economic opportunity is huge. And to a certain extent, it does feel almost kind of inevitable that we have to do something about it. So yeah, there's something seductive about that. You know, you're a very sharp marketer. And so you know that seduction plays <laughs> an important role in terms of convincing people to participate in this type of stuff. So, Well, you know, at some point I'm like, hey, whatever buttons you're hitting <laughs> best for you, just join because that's too important, right? Right, you know, money, climate, what have you. Cool colleagues. And I think one of the things that drives me, right, also is the people. It's really the, the mm. interest, like the type of the challenge, right? Like really solving hard problems, right? And and definitely climate is one, but probably removing carbon from the atmosphere is an extreme subset of that. Yeah. The second part is really working on a solution, right? Uh, on a solution that that's really important to me. And then I would say the third one is the scale, which also works with the pace, right? I'm rather high energy person. So really working on on this fast-paced environment and this sense of urgency that we need to, you know, keep going and, you know, get there as fast as possible is really exciting. But really, last but not least, is the people I've met along the way. I'm really amazed with the energy, the optimism, sometimes the resilience, uh-huh. right, that people demonstrate uh-huh. working in this space. And uh, it's really something, you know, bigger is the head of us and we really need to work all in the same direction. I think that compared to different industries or universe I've been involved with is really uh, something that tops up the daily work. For sure. Yeah, and I, I agree. I think the energy and the interest in the space has accelerated a lot in the past three years. I was at a dinner on Monday and I was like, wow, there's some really cool, really interesting and uh, really high level people in this room. And I feel like you know, we were talking about carbon removal and stuff like that. And I feel like those conversations weren't necessarily happening three years ago. So good signs for sure. Definitely. I agree with you. Three years ago, carbon removal was not even a word, <laughs> right? Like, I mean, no, let's face it. Yeah. Right. I hadn't really started hearing about it at that point either. So now you're fully into a dinners, podcast, guests. Yeah. It's like my whole week is just carbon <laughs> removal. So I've got to go take a walk and reimmerse myself in, in the rest of the world. I, I can relate. I can relate to that. I can relate. All right, Julie, it's been wonderful. I always like to ask guests, I already asked you this about different carbon removal technologies, but I'm just curious what, you know, outside of carbon removal, what other climate technologies are you particularly excited about? Anything that you see out there that you're like, wow, that's just fascinating and mind-blowing? Well, that's kind of related, right? I'm fascinated by funga. So mm, I don't know if you yeah. know funga. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I think what they do is, is really amazing like this you know this type of things where when they explain you go like that's actually quite simple in a way but it's really mind-blowing right so this are the type of like how can we enhance nature right we've Mm -hmm. sometimes made efforts or you know negative impact on nature without really intending it so when you work that in reverse and really enhance nature and that or leverage the power of nature i find this really really fascinating Mm -hmm. i think that's uh, okay so if you already know them Okay, I'll try to scratch my head and find something you don't know. <laughs> no, no, it's good. I mean, I, I want to write, I have a newsletter that I'm writing a little bit about what they're doing. So folks that are listening in, don't worry, we will uh, we will catch you up to speed in, in written form soon. Uh, we won't keep fungus secret forever. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. They deserve to be known. Yeah. Thanks so much for joining, Julie. It's been wonderful to hear a little bit more about your perspective on scaling direct air capture and working at Climeworks. I'm sure that our listeners will hear a lot more about what you all are up to in in coming years because I know there's a lot of good stuff coming down the pipe. Great. Thank you so much. Was very honored to be on the podcast and I hope that shed some light on carbon removal and the challenges ahead. 
Absolutely. I'll see you in uh, in Europe soon at some point, hopefully. Yeah, you're welcome. Cheers. See you soon. Thanks for tuning in. So you don't miss the next episode on another cutting edge climate tech, make sure to subscribe on Spotify, Apple, Google, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. And to get even deeper, you can sign up for my newsletter on workweek.com. We'll see you soon. Yeah.